Today's episode of Undesign comes to you from the land of the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation. We acknowledge and pay respects to all elders, past, present, and emerging. Are you enjoying Undesign? Then take two minutes to vote for us in the 2021 People's Choice Podcast Awards. We'd really appreciate it. It'll help us continue to make this podcast and reach new audiences. To vote, go to podcastawards.com and click on the big blue button for nominations voting. We're under the Society and Culture category. Again, that's podcastawards.com, and we're in the Society and Culture category. Thanks. Now, let's get into this week's episode. Have we started recording? Oh, cool. We're already recording anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Cheeky boy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Undesign. I'm your host, Costa, and thank you so much for joining me on this mammoth task to untangle the world's wicked problems and redesign new futures. I know firsthand that we can all bring so much to these big challenges, so listen in and see where you fit in the solution as we go on to Undesign Indigenous Empowerment and Agency. When it comes to traditional approaches to empowerment initiatives, particularly where it relates to marginalized or minority groups, We often hear of the importance of everyone having a seat at the table, but do we ever really stop to think about what that actually means? Because when you analyze that statement, inbuilt into it, you know, essentially an aspirational statement are many assumptions. For example, is having a seat at the table enough? What if people want to build their own table? And if they want to build their own table, does it have to be the same table? What if they don't even want a table or need a table? The deconstruction of this metaphor is at the heart of what it means for any country's First Nations and Indigenous peoples choosing for themselves. Not only how to meet their current needs in a post-colonial society, but how big they can dream and what they can do to make those dreams real. Talking to us about this on today's episode of Undesign is our special guest, Luke Pearson. Luke is a Gamilaroi man in New South Wales who founded Indigenous X in 2012. Indigenous X is a digital pass-the-mic style platform for upcoming Indigenous writers, creatives, and thought leaders to take control back over their own stories and their own voices. It's essentially a platform that is born entirely out of this genuine commitment to Indigenous empowerment. So what does that actually look like, and how should we position ourselves in this aspiration? As you'll hear, Luke and I have a deeply personal, thought-provoking conversation that I'm still reflecting on as of this recording. It's a huge conversation that requires a lot of internal untangling and questioning, even of your own motives and intentions for wanting to be part of the solution. Truth be told, this episode is less about answers and more about setting the right challenge for ourselves. This is about listening and learning. So if you're new to this, I invite you to take that journey and really sit with what is discussed. Only then can we hope to build meaningful ways to live alongside one another. Also, just quickly, you might notice our audio quality is a little lower than usual on this one. While we had some issues with our mic, we hope you still find the conversation as compelling as I did. Enjoy. I I appreciate when you're on the organising side... Yeah, yeah, whether it's an event or a podcast or a meeting, like you feel so embarrassed in the moment of, oh my God, we're doing this. And it's not, but from, yeah, when you're in the audience and someone's on stage and they stuff up or when I'm in, you know, it, it, 
it adds a lightness. It adds a humanness. So actually, yeah. it, it, does, are, it takes a lot of the edge off of feeling this is this big formal thing, and, and it makes you giggle and <laughs> calms you yeah, down. And so, it does. You know, I feel like it just wouldn't happen any other way. Really, it just feels very right. fitting right now. Um, everything else happening. Yeah, and, and so yeah, as I was explaining, you know, I think it's it's so important when we make these. Uh, you know, when when I do these interviews and these recordings, you know, it's something I think about. Uh, you know, one of my first big things that went out there online was I did a, a TEDx in like right. 20, 2013. Um, and oh, right. Was still, yeah, but it, it's an old one. Um, yeah. I was still carrying a lot of trauma from my education days and I felt really, uh, you know, I used to be a primary teacher and that you know, only lasted a few years and it didn't end well for me or my own mental health or right. um, you know, sense of self. And so I, I yeah. gave this talk as as a teacher and it's like, well, it's a TEDx, it's a video, I've got to be... You know, positive and uplift. like I was still trying to work out my yeah. my public persona and and yeah. I, I loved yeah. TEDx videos all through my uni so I'm doing this TED talk and so it was it was this big thing and, and I don't know like I I'm not uh, embarrassed by it I mean I've never listened to it but vaguely from what I remember of it um, it was all right um, but you know, I run into someone now and like oh we watched your TED talk at work the other day or at my school the other day and I'm like man that like the the dude who did that talk is gone that was eight years yeah. ago I'm in I'm in yeah. completely different headspaces. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, that so, seems like a really good um, time for me to just ask you that question. Like, particularly as it relates to Indigenous empowerment, what has mm. changed in eight years for you? For what is that? Eight years more? Uh, well, the, the TED talk was so Indigenous X would have been reasonably new at that point. I think it would have only been yeah. around for a year. Yeah. Uh, so Indigenous X just had its its ninth birthday, ninth birthday earlier this month. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, that was yeah. on the 15th and amazing that <laughs> we've lasted this long and not just lasted but you really awesome. thrived and, and grown in the last couple of years uh, especially. Yeah. And so, you know, for a long time uh, Indigenous X was was this funny beast because it was about, uh, you know, in, empowerment through agency and opportunity. And so, you know, Indigenous X is this platform we created at a time when media representation was largely non-existent in, in the broader, you know, the, the rise of social media and, you know, myself and a number, you know, large number of other Indigenous people uh, yeah. who are out there. And so, um, and so, yeah, we're, we're all starting our blogs and we're all doing our thing. And as, as the rise of the blogosphere and, and the, the commentator more broadly sort of gained yeah. prominence, um, which a lot of people have sort of attributed for the death of journalism, um, yeah. <laughs> which, yeah, probably funny that, um, funny that. Um, but you know, for for indigenous commentary at the time, it, it was different in in my mind at least, because it's not like we were killing indigenous journalism because it was few and far between. There was um, again, you know, you, you had some really crucial you know community radio. Yep. Um, you had had you know some really solid uh, indigenous journalists who've been working away tirelessly over the years. But this new beast that popped up, um, yeah, it was huge, and and I got to be a part of that uh, initial wave. Yep. And, you know, one of the things I used to talk about, you know, 10 years ago on, on Twitter was how if you read an Indigenous uh, opinion piece, it, it was only by two or three people. Um, yep. And it was in the Australian and they were, you know, more, more conservative uh, Indigenous voices um, that would usually be published in the Australian and that was, yep. that was the bulk of it. Um, and so Indigenous X was sort of born out of a desire uh, to, to have a space and, and tap into this, what, what for me at the time was this new, um, you know, this new exciting world on on Twitter, um, yes, and and 
Yeah, so the idea for anyone who, who doesn't know or, or isn't familiar with Twitter or Indigenous X on Twitter, uh, it's just different. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person each week, take the account, do what you want, just do your account, talk about whatever. You don't, you're, you're not, you don't have to feel compelled to speak on behalf of all Indigenous people, which you know, is, is a part of that media framing. Like, and and yeah. I'll still get that in. What do Indigenous people think about this? And it's like... Oh man, like you, you might have to take a minute to go and ask the, the eight hundred thousand. Um, yeah, right. You, you can talk in broad strokes and sensibilities sure. and and whatever, but you know it's that that expectation of you, random Indigenous person here, step up and be the the spokesperson, yeah. which media are very keen to do in so mm. many ways. And and so it's this convenient. was a space of like, don't be a spokesperson. You don't have to even be a leader. You don't have to be like, just be you. And, and then the idea was that we had a space where we could connect and people could share. And, and for non-Indigenous people following, they could help break down that homogenous view of yes. indigeneity. They could ha- help shift their expectations. Right. Um, so, you know, when in, in the early days, you'd be like, oh, what's the Aboriginal word for this? Or what's, and it's like, if you're going to ask a question of a host, it should mm. be in response to what they've already been talking about. So, you know, yes. If I'm hosting and I'm like, well, I'm primary teacher trained, ask me about primary teaching. Don't yeah. you know what I mean? Like, make not just this broad, generic, ask an Aborigine mindset. Yep. Um, you know, ask people as, as individuals and treat them as individuals and hear their mm. story from their perspective and respect that. Yeah. Um, and so that that's sort of what led me in, into the path of you know, uh, being responsible for and, and having a responsibility towards mm. uh, this this space. So, you know, like I said, I, I was trained as, as a primary teacher um, so I, I was, you know, hoping to empower people through education in the classroom and help kids on their journey to, you know, wherever yep. they went um, and then thrust very quickly just through, like, having a good idea on Twitter or what I thought was a pretty cool idea. Um, but it was like, yeah, don't know yeah. how long, don't, know, don't, don't see, don't know if there's a future in this, don't know if there's yeah. a future in Twitter. Um, who knows how long we'll be able to get hosts for or if people will care. But um, like I said as as Twitter grew and as the space grew, you know, we, um, we were one of the people who were... You know, doing something different and, and something interesting, and so we grew with that. Um, yep. you know, we got that partnership with the Guardian when they turned up uh, to Australia, like a year or so after we began. Uh, oh, so really new! I didn't realize that was so. Um, yeah, we we were from the very first moment. So, the yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, so early on. Yeah, right. Yeah, so when they so they reached out and um, they're like, "Oh, we want to have a yarn about you know whatever," and and I thought. It was like the the UK Guardian wanted to do a story on Indigenous X. Is like, well, here's this interesting thing in Australia. I didn't even know they were coming to, to Australia, so I went in for the meeting. Oh. And they're like, yeah, no, we're here. We want a partnership. And I'm like, oh wow, didn't didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, so we, and we still have that partnership. It's still um, it's still going strong. Um, mm. And so yeah, yeah. Over the years, it's really uh, thrust me, like I said, in, into this space of like, so what what is my responsibility back to the collective? How do we? Yep keep this platform open and accessible and true to its philosophy, mm. um, but also trying to grow and change and adapt to, you know, moving times, yeah. you know, amongst different Indigenous peoples and groups, but also in the, in the media sector. And so it's it's been an amazing journey. And, and I, I, I always feel, to be honest, like I'm, yeah, at, at the start, like I said, we were pushing boundaries because I had this idea and we ran yep. with it and it took years just to have it take shape. Um, mm. And be comfortable with what it what it was, um, but now the space moves so quick, and, and I'm I've got a family now, and and you know, doing yeah. other things as well. So I I always feel like I'm you know trying to keep up um, mm. rather than, than pushing in the way that I used to. But that's that's part of the challenge as well. Yeah, you know, I think as we get older, 
It's like, is what we're doing still relevant? Does it still matter? Are we checking in with the right people in the right ways? And are we, you know, looking for ways to bring more people on on the journey? Um, mm. And so, you know, the the first seven years um, of Indigenous X, I, I was working, um, you know, either freelance work or working other full time gigs and running Indigenous X in my spare time. And I always sort of thought, like, it's a funny thing. I'm, I'm sitting there talking about. You know how how important this platform is, and how powerful it is, and, and Indigenous empowerment. While I'm doing it all for free on on the side, trying to yeah, trying to keep afloat uh, off on the side. And so it was only really been the last two years that I took the jump and said, actually, mm. Indigenous X should be my full time job. Uh, yeah, it should it should be not just supporting me, but other people. Um, mm. So yeah, at, at the time, um, I was at ABC. Uh, James Saunders. Uh, a friend of mine for a lot of years was also at the ABC and he was getting ready to leave at the same time I was getting ready to leave. And I, oh. so I, I took on a big uh, consultancy job and I was like, man, I've got, I've got enough money, I reckon, for about three months for both of us. Um, yep. you know, let's, let's see how we go. Oh, um, that's a big gamble, Luke. Good on you. Is, Talk about backing um, yourself. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you've got you to take that leap. And I knew James was you know, an amazing operator. Um, so yep. I had a lot of faith in him, had a lot of faith in, in the idea. Um, and and you know, backed myself enough to go. Yep, let's let's see what we can do. And took a, an education based uh, job, so it was one I knew I could deliver on um, from the media side and the education side. So I was very much in my wheelhouse. Um, I was working on uh, Indigenous science with with Akara, the people who do the, the national curriculum. Um, so I was right. like teacher background information for uh, for Indigenous science. And so part of the the job was uh, working on the the first round of drafts for what would eventually yep. become the teacher background notes. So the old teacher had on, but the other half was working with media on how to talk about this because Akara hadn't really done a lot in the space at that time. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's something I've done in a lot of the media consultancy sort of work is where a lot of non-Indigenous agencies, when they're first going into an Indigenous space, will have this this language of like, yeah, we're doing this because we've consulted with, with community and Aboriginal yeah. teachers and parents and this is what they want. And it's mm. like, and that's great and you should consult, but you also should have somewhere in there we're doing this because it matters and we believe yeah. in it and it's the right thing to do. Yeah, so so much I think inadvertently by wanting to go, we, we did the right thing and we asked, comes mm. out in a language of saying like, we'll happily just throw this mob under the bus if it goes bad and go, well, yeah. we, they wanted it. We, you know, we were only doing what they wanted. And so there was a lot of just, just talking and understanding about how you know, someone like myself who was on social media and was very familiar with calling out different organisations and different agencies you know, mm. would, would respond and would interpret and would read between the lines and how you, you know, using words that, that say what you mean but also understanding some words that you think mean something might mean something else, you know, to, to Blackfella Twitter particularly no. um, but just, yeah. just mob out there, you know. And, and so it was a really interesting two-piece uh, work and, and that kept us going for a few months, like I said. And then, yeah, yeah James had, had his networks and his old clients from when he'd done consultancy work in the past. We put the word out that we were we jumped ship from ABC. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, barely, barely two years later, um, two and a half, I guess, maybe now. Uh, yeah. And now there's a, a team of four of us full-time, uh, one part-time, and, and we're hoping to, to keep growing. So it's been an amazing, amazing journey. That's huge, um, man. Well, congrats because it's massive you. and that's hard for anyone really um, and let alone in a, in a space that's pretty underrepresented in the media landscape, in the independent landscape. I guess, you know, you just touched on a point earlier about sort of the same words meaning very different things to different people. 
And I think empowerment is one of those words. Mm. And there are a couple of words. So this was actually a really hard topic to research. Mm -hmm. There's not necessarily a lot of scholarship on this idea of what Indigenous empowerment means from Indigenous perspectives, from what I could see. Um, So I kind of want to do like just a quick word association with you about other things that come up when I tried to research this issue. And it's not like I couldn't find anything, but there were definitely some things that seemed to pop up when I tried to look this, look more into it. So, I mean, firstly, when we're talking about empowerment, are we only talking about economic or are we talking about other domains of Indigenous life generally? I mean, certainly for me, um, I'm talking about more than, than just economic. Um, yep. You know, talking about identity, talking about self-determination, you know, the, the yep. collective rights of Indigenous peoples, not just the individual uh, goals. And I, I think, you know, I, and I, I would say there is a lot of stuff out there about empowerment, but not necessarily always in that language. So certainly right. when we're talking about Indigenous governance, um, yes. how we need to have, uh, you know, self-determination principles, the rights of Indigenous peoples uh, under, you know, the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous... Like, so th- there is yep. a lot out there, but I, I appreciate... Uh, a lot of stuff that's coming out through, you know, policy initiatives or through, yep. yeah, that those sort of more uh, mainstream spaces, yeah, are probably talking about, you know, like the the government uh, support of indigenous entrepreneurs and businesses and procurement yeah. or or a desire to uh, improve employment, um, even though you know had more than enough opportunities to do that and don't seem to want to do that, or mm. you know on CDP and and work for the Dole over the years, they would have just given council jobs because it's like. Other people doing that same work you give a full-time job to. Um, yep. You're happy to seem to let blackfellas work for the dole and keep getting trained and, and, and no real employment outcomes um, yep. in, in a lot of instances. Um, mm. So, you know, how, how serious about that is very debatable. Um, but I think that that's that idea for a lot of people and they can only see Indigenous empowerment through a lens of assimilation. Right. Uh, the idea that when we achieve equal status and equal representation and that's, you know, it's like when every every major institute or industry out there is like, we want to have parity of Indigenous employment, we want to have 3%. And it's like, and that's great and they should certainly, you know, be, be taking steps to improve their employment and their retention of Indigenous staff and providing cultural safety for their staff. But as, as a collective society, it's like, well, if every industry has 3% and then we're just equally represented, then we're just mirroring a, a 3% model of, of that mm. society that we that's not necessarily in line with indigenous aspirations about what people want for themselves individually or yep. collectively what what people want um you know for the collective and so there's yeah there's a lot of people who I, I just think don't have uh the the imagination or the understanding that uh indigenous aspirations often go well beyond the idea of uh parity right yeah that's a, it, it's a it's a really fair point and it's easy to overlook sometimes in that just, and you know, this came from a conversation that we had, you know, last week around just having a seat at the table versus building your own table, you know, and what that would look like. And I guess, you know, your, your founding of indigenous sex is an example of that where you built your own table or you, you and you and your colleagues built your own table. What, what is, I guess what's compelling about this idea of building your own table, so to speak, or why do you think it is necessary or desirable to have that sort of well, option? That, ben, you know, I, I always like that, that people are out there challenging the, 
the status quo. I, I like to think I have my moments of doing that, uh, yeah. <laughs> challenging con- uh, conventional thought. But yeah, you hear other people out there, and, and unfortunately I don't have the person in mind. I know this is someone from Blackfellow Twitter, but they were even talking about about that idea of like it's like, well, in, in that traditional mindset of thinking like we didn't have, you know, the, the conceptual uh, table would be more about actually just sitting on country and doing our right. own thing because, yeah, sure. yeah, because and, and the, the, the analogy they were drawing was, well, if we're just making a table that's the same as their table, yep. that's not necessarily any better either. That's yeah, uh, right. That's still an assimilationist model, but at least we're controlling mm-hmm. our own uh, version of it, which might still be better than having a seat at that table. And so, you know, it's, it's always layers deep. Um, but, yeah, you know, for, that's a really deep abstraction, but it actually like makes a, a ton of sense. And it did. It was, it was um, one of those moments of like, oh, that's that's clever. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that's right, and that's something that as, as I build Indigenous X... Uh, yeah. and and the team grows and, and we start to bring on you know employees like people who like one of one of my employees uh, is also a fellow who was you know best man at my wedding and and vice versa um, right. so it's like managing the the social and the cultural relationships yeah. in in a western employment hierarchy where it's like now I'm his boss he's my employee I and mean, we right. don't we don't engage like that or interact like that but it's yeah. weird to think even though I don't want to blur the the friendship or lose the friendship in that dynamic mm. at the same time I do now have added responsibilities of care to him yeah. and a duty of care to him uh, right. that is is new to our 20 year plus you know friendship and a very close friendship mm-hmm. um so yeah we're yeah, where where we have to go, we've got to follow the structure. Either for I've got to pay taxes, or they they won't let me yeah. keep doing what I'm doing, or I've got to provide responsibilities because not not just legally because you know someone might be my employee, but also because yeah. there is a part of that that duty of care of things they shouldn't have to think about that I should think about as the right. person who runs Indigenous X and is ultimately responsible for it. Mm. Um, so yeah, so much of that, man, and and yeah, navigating between. Uh, the the healthiest ideal version of what that looks like versus a, a Western way of thinking about something that is usually a very unhealthy, you know, like yeah. just the hierarchy thinking of like, well, I'm the boss, like that that shit is toxic and I, I never want yeah. to be that father. Um, power over relationships as opposed to in solidarity with or power with kind of. Yeah, well, and empowering my employees. And when we're talking about Indigenous empowerment, I, I want to be uh, the, the sort of employer who if, mm. if I'm going to say to mob, you know, come and work with me rather than, than sit at that other fellow, you know, come like for non-Indigenous organisations or mainstream or government or public service or whatever it is, mm. it's like, no, come sit at, the, at this Indigenous X table, you know, that I'm, I'm carving out and I'm still working out what it means. Yeah. It's got to be a safe one. It's got to be strong enough to support them. It's got to empower them, uh, you know, through the act of it. And so a big part in the early days was, you know, just like well, at least you won't have a, a white boss who's going to cause shit. <laughs> at least you won't have you won't have to deal with all of that nonsense. Right. Yeah, um, sure. You know, and, and that is is a very appealing uh, aspect yep. for a lot of people. Um, it's a very, but at the same yep. time, it's like, is that enough? Is that you know, just the absence of having to deal with the colony? That mm. shouldn't like that. That's a very important part of having an indigenous run, uh, you know, indigenous led organization. But yep. that can't be all that it is, surely. So that's. That's just yep. the absence of of the the trauma of the colony uh, right. of, of being. You know, sadly, yeah, we we still have clients. We still have to. We're not complete absence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's. I know what you mean. Like yeah, it, it, it's our own space. Um, it's, it's, but it's, it's an absence more. of a 
oppressive system in yeah, some ways. Yeah, um, of directly feeling like you're you're a part of that and and beholden to that. Um, yeah. But then it's still so it's like, but what is? Yeah, that's like so that the difference between what are the strengths of an indigenous. Uh, organization as opposed to the absence of the, the failings of a non-indigenous organization. Got it. So that's but, sorry, I was gonna say yeah, for the for the first year or so it was just James and I. Um and so yeah. sort of like we were just able to to navigate that dynamic amongst ourselves and, and we would have these conversations. But as mm. as an organization gets bigger, um it gets harder. Um yeah. you know and so we like so we're only four people, you know, we're, we're yep. a fifth part time now. So it's very manageable. Um, but I do, it's something that I, I've started to think about. It's like, well, if we keep growing, then yep. soon we'll be 20 people. And I'm not yep. just going to be able to hang out and give everyone a ring and go, hey, how are you going? I'm not going to know as intimately you yep. know, where they're at with their lives. And, and so what are what are the governance structures of the organisation beyond just the human dynamic of me being mm-hmm. me and, and trying to look after people? And so, yeah, what's different if someone's like, oh, I've got to pick my kids up or I've got a problem with family, then I'm like, go, you know, go do what you do. You've got to take... Yep. Yeah, your mum's sick, go look after mum. Your kids are sick, have the day off. You know, it's like we, we can do that easily. But yep. eventually if you succeed, you get to a point where you're too big to do that that intimately. Mm. Uh, so you've got to have systems in place. And that's that's a real new challenge for me of like what what does it look like as an institutional structure, not just as mm. a series of human relationships. Yeah. It's interesting, Luke, because you just made me reflect on like what the purpose of growth actually is. And I I figured, and I guess the question I would ask you is, you know, are there any other reasons other than sort of like, what's, what are the reasons beyond growth for going from say four to 20, for example? So is it more that you get to do more in that capacity or is it, you know, like, I think if anything, what I'm trying to get at here is that looking at things through an indigenous empowerment lens also gives us permission to, um, query or question like what the purpose of something like growth actually is like, are we just growing for the sake of growing because it's a system that demands mm. like an increased capacity of us yeah. or are we growing because we actually want to build a bigger network of yeah. people to be involved and to create a bigger platform mm. for, you know, like, you know, in line with indigenous X, like other indigenous voices to, yeah. to reach prominence and um, mass appeal. Yeah, I think for me that there are so many answers to that that question yep. when I'm thinking from, you know, where I, I sit right at this moment. Mm. Um, you know, like I said, with, with things going on in my own personal life, you know, that, yep. that have taken me away from the business this year. Um, you know, again, this is our fourth recording, so I don't even know if I was <laughs> alluded to it earlier. Hold on, but, um, you know, uh, yeah, for for those people who sort of follow me and and interact on online or, or know me personally, you know, they'll know uh, it's been a challenging year for for me and the family, and and still is right at this moment. Um, yeah. So you know, just just having feel that's taken me away from the business uh, a lot. And when you're doing so much uh, with such a small team, you know, we're running the media, we're running the consultancy, we're running the training. Uh, you mm. know, Rihanna Patrick's come on board, leading us into to podcasting, um, yeah. and so. It can be really challenging just to to kick all the goals we're kicking. We we really do punch above our weight. Um, so yep. part of the reason to grow is we could do with more hands on deck. You know, it's really yep. simple. Um, but yep. you know, being split between the the different areas of the business and wanting to create new media and more media, also mm. mindful that you know I'm not getting any younger. Man, there's a whole generation of kids out there doing really cool TikTok stuff and other stuff, and and they're having yep. they're having new conversations. I'm not just you know. Uh, adaptations perhaps of, of what 
every generation has as they're coming through, but their iteration yeah. of that, their growth of that, their their expression of that, um, and I want to be able to bring that that on. I want to be able to to connect and and you know, the, the way the platform you know opened up to what was at the time Blackfellow Twitter when when Indigenous X was new ten years ago. Mm. Um, you know, I want to be able to support other mob coming through and doing that. But yeah, really, I. I I just back us, man. I believe in what we do. I believe we do what we do better than, you know, what, what a lot of the, the mainstream equivalents or, yep. or other, and, and a lot of mob who are just so so talented and so amazing who aren't in environments where they thrive. Yeah. Um, you know, and I want to create that environment. And that's that's a big part of it is, you know, my own healing and my own trauma about, you know, like I said, I, I wanted to be a primary teacher, man. You do a, you do a primary teacher and agree to be a teacher. Yeah, it's quite linear. Yeah, it is. It really is. You might go be a principal one day, but or whatever. But you know, yeah, I I didn't want to. I didn't spend you know four years at uni to only stay in the job for three. Um, Yeah. So I I was very lucky that in in falling out of teaching, I landed very firmly on my feet, and this amazing life has unfolded. uh, In in the fifteen years since, Um, but. You know, it's when people are like, oh, Indigenous Ace is, is a success. It's like, yeah, it's a success because I'm a failed teacher and so many people <laughs> I know who I are. I think so many people can relate to that. Yeah, you know, it's like, and, and that it's that idea, again, that assimilationist idea of empowerment of we want mob to change themselves to be the square peg that fits the square hole. You know, right. and, and so many institutions more, more and more now are starting to... Uh, at least acknowledge, I don't think they know how to do it, but they're, they're starting to acknowledge, no, actually we need to change shape to support people as they are and, and mm. to empower people to do what they're good at. But, you know, bureaucracy is not great at that, man. Institutions by their nature aren't great at that. Um, yes. There's something about Indigenous X and, and the philosophies we have and, and how we operate where it's like, man, as long as we've, we're still making enough money that we can all pay our bills and we can all you know, earn a wage... Um, mm. Let's go and do something. And if someone's like, "I want to try something new," cool, let's try that. Um, mm. And that's where you just want to keep in front enough that you can make a few mistakes without bankrupting the whole business every time you stuff up. Um, yep. which, you know, for the first year or two, James and I, James and I did not have a lot of room for error. Um, right. Yeah, you know, we, you know, but we, we've been really lucky in, in getting some support and some funding. Um, mm. So you know, the education work that we're doing that's in partnership uh, with the AECG, the Aboriginal Education Consultative Group. Um, so they're they're meeting us halfway there. Um, you know, moving into to podcasting, we, we've been supported in that, and that yep. gives us a bit of freedom and a bit of flexibility uh, to say, you know, yeah, yeah, we, we're not going to crash the ship every time we try something new. Um, yep. But yeah, I, I want to grow because I I believe in in the power of of awesome mob doing awesome work, and yep. and it pains me to see so many people out there who just carry the weight of that trauma and, and are still, you know, existing in it. Um, mm. So, you know, if, if I could just employ everyone uh, to come and be awesome, and I'd do it in a heartbeat, you know, I, I would grow just to be uh, that that safe haven, that that place. And then in terms of like, you know, when I'm talking about how, how I, I have faith that that challenge that I, I think about a lot of like, geez, what does that governance system look like when we're 20 yeah. strong, when we're 200 strong, if, if mm. that is where the future goes, it's like, I, I have faith that we'll achieve that. You know, there'll be bumps along the way, but, you know, keeping humble, listening to other mob, bringing in people. Like there are people who have that expertise in Indigenous governance. And yeah. so, 
yeah, like I said, when when it's two or three people, you think loosely about it, but it really it's just me and you. If we can work yeah. it out together, then we're good, and that's what the governance is. Um, um, but as you get big, you need more than that. You need policies in place. You need yeah. you know, practices. You need organisational structure uh, that that underpins. Yeah. Um, and so even you know, in, in and not just in a Western bureaucratic sense, but like any successful group has a structure. There are rules that are beyond the individuals negotiating day to day every issue. Um, and I guess so, what you're saying is that that structure doesn't necessarily have to look one way. It has to mm. just serve the purposes of the people, the parts that comprise it, and yeah. uh, you know, enable people's ability to thrive in that environment. Right. That's right. And so yeah, provide yeah. provide structure in a way that is uplifting. Uh, and not oppressive, you know? yeah. And and that's yeah, because so much of of the bureaucratic structures for anyone who's been in a, a public service where you're like, what I'm doing, I don't believe in, and I don't think will will produce an outcome, but I have to do it because that's what the rule is. Yeah. Um, you know, and like so much of bureaucracy is someone just going, look, I'm sorry, I agree, this makes no sense, but here's the yeah. the policy. Um, of course. But you know, more and more, and and that that sort of empowerment, which is the removal of oppressive structures and systems yeah. that is is empowering um in a way that isn't that uh it's very different from when we talk about you know self-determination principles yeah. um but right. man you know not having a foot on your throat feels pretty bloody nice yes you know what sure. I mean? like so if, if that's where you're at then not having that is very empowering yeah, um, it's if, kind of like there's a difference between the absence of pain and the the presence of something more uh, nourishing. Mm, mm, you know, that's right. Yeah. Um, but you know, for for how Australia operates, that's an important part of the conversation. We can't ignore yeah. you know, that that reality. But I think that's when you know, when people dismiss Indigenous aspirations and go, you know, there's a lot of they don't care about a treaty or constitution or whatever. Like they're just looking for housing and a job. And it's like, of course they are. You know, we're, yeah, like because that's. But that's not to say that they're not also interested in those other things. That's to minimise. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, it's to prioritise that assimilationist model of if everyone's got a house, everyone's got a job, every kid's going to school, then there's nothing else to discuss. Right. And so uh, it, it's it's weaponized against people to make you know indigenous uh, academics or indigenous you know thinkers or, or activists uh, mm. feel like they're removed from the realities of of poverty and oppression. Um, right. Which is very much not the case for so many mob who are working on the on the ground at, at the edge of those spaces. But it's yeah. really, oh, they're this lefty, you know, inner city academic. They don't know the real plight uh, of mm. Aboriginal people mm. dealing. And it's like that's bullshit. That is just an absolute weaponized uh, spin. A bit of a tactic, yeah, to go well. We and it, it's really just that thing of they like they're not doing bugger. You know what I mean? Like the people who scream the loudest about. They're Aboriginal people, homeless and starving. They're usually the people who could actually freaking do something about it and do yeah. not and only yeah. bring it up to shut down uh, mm. higher conversations about treaty, about self-determination, yeah. about our rights as Indigenous people. That's interesting as well because another thing I kind of, you know, in preparation for our discussion today was just this idea that a lot of the discussion around this um, is either sort of characterised by a bit of a nebulous nature around it. I mean, like, okay, what does empowerment mean? But also that um, introducing something like, you know, like the voice to parliament or something, you know, introduces an aspect of division. Like people hit back at this division within indigenous communities as a way to sort of stifle like that progress. And like you said, you know, I think earlier, not everyone necessarily is asking for that, but the presence of a conflict is actually used to undermine 
progress and like genuine empowerment in this yeah. space. And that's, and, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Luke, you go. I was going to say that the only reason that works, man, is because it, it, people are able to exploit this, this odd stereotype uh, where there's this homogenous sense of indigeneity where we, yeah. we use any, any sense of division either to go, oh, well, you know, we can't do anything for you people, you can't agree, what's the point of any, you know, there's, yeah, no, yeah. there's no conversation to be had, or you're less than. You know, and like no. real Aboriginal people want this and if you're anywhere else then you are, you know, a trouble, you are a problem, you are angry, you are fake, you are urban, you are whatever yep. Um, yep. way of, of, di- of, of taking away people's identity or their right uh, to mm. their view. But it's like, and show me the group that does have universal consensus. Like what are we even talking about? That's yeah. not a thing that exists. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we, we have this division within our, our government, within our society but we have structures in place uh, that navigate those and, and that come to decisions, even though we know not everyone will agree with it. And within a representative democracy model, uh, there are plenty of decisions that, that are official government democratic decisions where the yep. vast majority of people disagree with it. But yeah. we got there through a, a democratic process. And so even yep. though that process might be flawed, uh, yep. there's a system. Yes. Um, whereas we, we're denied the infrastructure, and that's one of the rights when we're talking about Indigenous empowerment is how do we get those those systems, hopefully uh, incorporating, you know, traditional governance and, and decision-making principles, so our right, uh, self-determination right to determine our own systems for how to mm. make those decisions, how to have those debates, how to have those discussions um, mm. so that we can have representative, you know, leaders, uh, cultural authorities, you know, however... Uh, each individual community or group or area or whatever it looks like, um, yep. you know, gets to say these are the people who are going to represent us uh, at at this table, at this indigenous mm. table, uh, yes. to then go over to to parliament. So whether that's seats in parliament, whether that's voice to parliament, whether that's yep. treaty rights, you know, whatever whatever mm. it is, we need that that infrastructure. We need that system, and of course. Like I said, there's no universal consensus, and that's not. You know, when I say not everyone, yeah, but that's what I mean. when I say not not everyone, uh, you know, wants the, a voice to parliament. That's not as a knock to voice to parliament. That's a reality yeah. for any yeah. system. Um, so you know, for me, I've I've always been, you know, I'm I'm pretty open um, to to any system as long as I, I believe that that structure is legitimate and sincere and and has a real chance of being done the right way um, mm. and, and hopefully achieving the outcomes. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I was very uh, anti the first run of, of constitutional recognition through Recognise because of the way the campaign was run. Uh, right. And the way that, you know, so at the time that was when Abbott uh, was Prime Minister. And you could hear mm. the way he talked about it. He never wanted anything sincere. He, he was only ever gunning for a preamble. Right. Um, you know, like a, a tokenistic, symbolic do-nothing change to the Constitution. Yep. And so mm. I, I was against it on those grounds, not on the grounds of it being constitutional change or the grounds of right. it being, you know, whatever. And and similarly with the treaty, it's like mm. I, I'm a supporter of the idea of treaty, but yes. I want I want to read the fine print first, man. Treaty is just the heading on a blank bit of paper until you fill it yeah. in. You know what I mean? So there, there would be a treaty model. And if we were to enter into treaty negotiations with the current federal government, I would mm. say very confidently... Uh, that I'm probably not going to support it because I right. have no faith in their ability to enter into good faith negotiations 
uh, yeah. to honour the the aspirations of Indigenous peoples and, and achieve, uh, you know, what what I would perceive as you know, uh, an agreement that you want to lock in your next generation and the generation after and the generation after into. So mm. I just couldn't imagine uh, any, uh, you know, space for Indigenous empowerment to come through the current climate. It's so... I guess what I'm sensing here, and I think this is a bit of a recurring theme, is this idea of trust or maybe even mistrust, you know, and that goes for um, sort of how traditional models of empowerment seem to be more in that sort of, it's still a bit, it's still quite paternalistic, I guess, is the sense that I'm getting in terms of how it's conceived as a, if, if it's a government supported thing, it's been, you know, there's that tension between like a welfare system and like giving over too much power or that's that narrative that persists there anyway. And then conversely, you know, you know, from, you know, any oppositions to that sort of support come from, you know, deeply rooted historical evidence of, um, you know, government not necessarily doing right by Indigenous peoples. And and for me, it's a a fundamental, you know, uh, distinction in the belief of like, what is the problem and what is the solution? Right. Um, and so historically, you know, and, and was talked about very overtly in the language of the Aboriginal problem, um, like yeah. the half-caste problem, the Aboriginal, you know, whatever. Um, mm. and, and largely uh, that problem, while it, it might manifest itself in different ways, has been that we exist, um, right. that, that we are in the way of the colony. Um, mm. That we, you know, when, when it was openly talked about like the half-caste problem in the 30s, which led to you know, so much of, of that, that language and the policy of the Solon generations, like the problem um, was that, and, and you can see there was this big national conference of um, chief protectors in like 1937, I think it was, um, where they're talking right. about it's like in a few years the half-caste population is going to match the white population, like this is a problem. You know, we're yeah. going to have a million, uh, you know, um, Aboriginal people running around. You know, I'm sure they used a worse term than Aboriginal people. I can't remember exactly yeah, what it was. Sure. Um, but yeah. you know, are, are we going to have a million of them running around the Commonwealth or are we going to erase them and absorb mm. them? And so yeah. that was very much the problem was that we exist right. and that we weren't disappearing uh, like they hoped we would. Yeah. And I think there's still a lot of people in government where that really is the problem, that we're a distinct uh, entity, that we're here. Mm. And so that's where they can still only see, you know, the ultimate outcome, the ultimate destiny, to use the language of the 37 Convention, you know, the destiny yeah. uh, of, of Aboriginal people is to be absorbed you know, through right. assimilation. Right. And so now it's like, oh, you can keep your dances and you can keep your, you know, whatever. Right. Like you can keep yeah. your flag and your dances and do your thing, but, mm. you know, assimilate. Like, like so live exactly like we do, but maybe, and, and that's that, you know, that's always been Australia's attitude to multiculturalism. Right. Yeah, you know, and it's like, it's okay if you bring an ethnic food uh, to, to lunch, like, but that's that's as much of your culture as we want to know about. So you it's very sanitised and, yeah. Um, yeah, and again, um, kind of uh, flattens the the genuine diversity mm. like yeah. exists amongst yeah. different people living together in any space. Right. Yeah. And so that's um, what I mean, like any, any negotiation. And that's why the government, like when you talk about a voice to parliament or, you know, treaty or seats to parliament, they're just like, we, do, we, we don't understand what you're talking about. You know, like John Howard, right. Tony Abbott, all of them is like a treaty, a country can't make a treaty with itself. Uh, a yeah. voice to parliament, that'd be a third chamber to parliament. We're all Australian. Mm. Like they, right. 
And, and I, I don't necessarily believe them, uh, so I don't necessarily mean that they can't imagine it or can't, but they actively choose to ignore the sure. idea that Indigenous peoples are a sovereign peoples with, mm. with unique and innate rights. Um, so that's when you know, people go, oh, you just want something, you, you know, something free, you want special handouts, you want special treatment. It's like yeah. the status of Indigenous peoples is special and should be treated as special and brings with it right. certain rights. That's what I wanted to ask you actually around, the, you know, the status of Indigenous people, right? And you know does um does this do you think that this sort of do you think any sort of genuine support for uh genuinely indigenous empowerment uh, you know indigenous empowerment focused programming or policy is an admission of the past in some ways that might be a bit unpalatable for for government or anything Even like that? that like in in terms of acknowledgement of the past i think you know you'll sometimes get that through uh, you know, compensation for stolen generations or, or something mm. like that or, or stolen wages. So there, there's a, an understanding through, you know, like civil law, like you're entitled to compensation for mistreatment. Right. So there's, there's there's some understanding of that, but they don't think it goes very far. And, and right. it's very – so it's certainly not for, uh, you know, Indigenous peoples, uh, you know, loss of, of land and culture. Although there, there have been increasing – uh, you know, legal challenges and, and some successes around that. But in terms of, like, the broader rhetoric at a federal government level, like the, the conversation uh, mm. that that Australia is invited into. Um, so th there are you know, very clever people doing very clever things that most of us never bloody hear about or don't understand you know, yeah. when we do. Um, but in terms of, like, when, when the Prime Minister's up, you know, on whatever 7.30 report or whatever shows they go, Ray Hadley, whatever the hell, and, you know, he's, he's like, like, he's not going to talk about, yeah, you know, like Aboriginal people, this this was their land and we took it by force and we did did dirty for a very long time. Um, and so yeah. not not just compensation for wrongs done, yeah. but acknowledgement yeah. of Indigenous rights and sovereignty outside right. of, of what was done wrong. Like, that's just not a yeah. conversation that, uh, you know, the, the people want to have. Um, or yeah. the government's open to. And so that's when I say, like, I, I don't have any good faith in any real outcome through that that sort of process. Right. Um, and, and underlying that, you know, that white supremacy, that black inferiority, like there is still that very white dominant thinking that says, like, the rightful place of Aboriginal people is, is one that is far below that of your average white person. And yeah. so, you know, the, the idea that, you know, not only could we just close the gap to equality, that, that, that we could actually create Indigenous-led, Indigenous-run spaces where maybe uh, we'll exceed and excel beyond. So maybe, you know, the, the Aboriginal you know, Indigenous mm. collective within the country will actually be a very prominent, very powerful, yep. uh, economically independent. So that is just a disastrous... Quite frightening yeah, to some, isn't it? Oh, it's just horrible. And that's where it's all webinars of like, oh, you just want it all for free and then you'll just burn it all down anyway because you're all bloody useless and you can't be trusted to run your own affair. Like this infantilizing, yep. this demonizing, this dehumanizing mm. um, you know, it is so intimately tied uh, to that history of, of you know, that racialized hierarchy of white people at the top. And you can list every other race somewhere down the list. Yeah. In terms of their different and varying abilities that are all invariably uh, yeah. less than those of white people. Um, mm. And so that thinking then is not so far in our past that it does not still, there, there is still such a real fear. Of, yeah. And, you know, it comes up on the news every so often, the idea that at some point in the future, white people won't be the majority. 
Yeah, that's yep. still a story that media love to run every so often. Um, mm. And like I said, that was the literal language of, of the 1937 uh, convention of chief protectors around the half-caste problem. Yes. Know, they're going to have a population the size of ours and potentially one that exceeds it. Like yeah. that is in and of itself the problem. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, not that you'd ever want someone to say this publicly, particularly from like a, a news anchor perspective where they have a lot to reach, but I kind of am just like, why don't you just say what the real fear mm. is there? Mm. You know, if people are talking about, oh, there's going to be seismic shifts in population makeup, mm. so what? Like if people are opting into, you know, have inter, interracial relationships or intercultural relationships, which then, you know, result in people swapping uh, cultural DNA, yeah. so to speak, and very real mm. DNA. So what, you know, it's just, what's, what's the real fear here, you know? That's, and, and I kind of get that sense of that anxiety mm. in the indigenous empowerment conversation oh. where what, you know, anyone, you know, all the indigenous scholarship that I've read in the brief research that I've done, you know, it's linked indigenous, this idea of indigenous empowerment has been linked to so many different positive outcomes for indigenous people in mm. Australia, whether it's reduction of suicide rates, uh, reduction of overrepresentation in incarceration, you know, increased representation in leadership and employment and, and all these sorts of things. So I guess, you know, as we start to sort of look towards the future from here on in, Luke, you know, where's the starting point? Like for people that genuinely want to support Indigenous empowerment or, you know, for Indigenous people themselves to kind of really embrace yeah, that yeah. um oh, look what just from your experience obviously it's going to be different for everyone but can you see any clear starting points or some clear obstacles that we can remove there's no shortage of, of obstacles i think um yeah. just to address that point there because i think it's really important you know to acknowledge yeah. when we're talking about the, the starting point um yeah. it's, it's long started man communities are, are doing and navigating and you know, fighting sure. and, and surviving in, in so many different ways yeah. so yeah you know, one of the things that, that came up in the the training yesterday that that I really struggled with, and, and I don't know, it sort of hit me in a in a sore spot as they do sometimes when you're doing that work. But it was someone saying, "You know, how do we take this from the theoretical to the practical?" And it's like, right. "Oh man, when I'm talking about racism and anti, like I'm not. This is this isn't theoretical. This know, is real me, life. This, this, this is my this is my all day every day. This is yep. what keeps me up at night, worried about my my children, my wife, my friends, my my community. Um, you know, this this is what's killing people. This is not." Uh, abstract ideas of of yeah. the manifestations of white supremacy. Um, yeah. You know this is this is real. And and similarly, you know that that construction uh, within white supremacy, you know, in, invariably leads to that uh, creation of black inferiority. Um, yeah. And so you know, that and then that becomes well, we're this pitiful thing, we're this charitable thing. We need help. We need, you know, how can people help? And it's mm. like so much of what we're talking about is not how can people help in in that. Way. It's yes. like, you know, man, mob are out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, mob are out there doing this work and, and are on the front lines doing it. So, you know, bringing yourself up up to speed on on who's doing what, where, that that interests you. Because, um, you yeah. know, we, you know, but, but also, you know, even that is, you know, uh, a, a charitable mindset of like the fact that you have the ease of picking, like, well, what are the ones I like and, and yeah, working on sure. those? Um, but that's, you know, the reality for most people, man, is. That's what they're gonna do, and so I, I sort of, uh, yeah, accept that as, as a starting point. Um, okay. But you know, if if you are, are going to get involved meaningfully, then you've got to find ways that you're useful. Mm. You know, like so much, and, and this is is something in that 
uh, people who are trying to empower different groups and, and meet the needs of different groups you know, uh, and, and reach out to the community at large. You know, I was listening to a podcast recently, this was in, in the UK, um, and someone was talking about they, they started a, a charity for um, sanitary products for women and it's sort of it's grown beyond that. Um, yeah. But, you know, all the time someone will send in like half a bottle of shampoo, you know, or mm. something like that, and it's like, we don't want you used half a bottle of shampoo, man. Like that's not, that's yeah. not respecting the dignity of these people. Um, yeah. But when you have that charity mindset, it's like, oh, you should be thankful with my crumbs. You should be thankful mm. for my throwaways. Yeah. Any, yeah. Anything I give you, you should be grateful for. Mm. And so if you're coming in with that mindset, you're probably going to get in the way and you're going to be very surprised when you're like, oh, well, aren't you uppity? You know, you didn't accept my half-eaten yeah. sandwich. You can't be that hungry then. And it's like, yeah. that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're, we're talking about. So you know, being, being humble and finding ways to be useful and actually yes. you know, helping to meet people's needs and to empower people in a way that mm. is the way they're asking for, that respects their dignity, that that meets their their needs and their ambitions and aspirations, mm. um, that can be very challenging if you're coming from that that traditional white man's burden, white saviour model. Yes. Um, where, you know, so much of, of the white man's burden and the white saviour is like, we're, we're going to do it in spite of yourself. Um, so yeah, even though you right. don't like it, you know, this is for your own good. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that, you know, that shit's got to end, man. Like that's, yeah, yeah. We, we've got to well, get that's, rid of that's that. That's how we see the Northern Territory intervention sort of. Oh, it's the whole foundational premise of the intervention is tough love, yeah. big stick, you know, punitive approaches. It's um, funny how people talk about tough love because my understanding of tough love has always been, it's actually tough on both people involved, not just on a top down approach where it's tough on Mm. the person being subjected to something unfavorable. So when people use tough love as a way to be quite paternalistic and, um, uh, like, uh, and sees the power available in a particular relationship, I'm like, that's not tough love. That's abuse. Whereas when Mm. that's a, a top down policy initiative by someone who doesn't know these people, doesn't care about these people, doesn't respect the dignity and humanity of these people, um, yeah. then it's, you know, by, by its very nature. Um, but but it comes back, you know, so much to that that fundamental thing of, you know, what is the problem? Like when I said before when we were talking about, you know, the, the idea of the Aboriginal problem. It's like, yeah. well, of course there are problems affecting Aboriginal people, but what is the problem? Mm. And so, you know, I, I come from a perspective that says the problem is uh, you know, wrapped up in the idea that our sovereignty has not been recognised and respected, our dignity has not been recognised and respected. We have not been you know, allowed the opportunity to carve out our own pathways. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, so much of of government policy is like we are the problem. The the problem is Aboriginal people. We are inferior. We need civilising. We need tough love. We aren't capable, yep. and we need to be beaten and bashed and dragged into. And mm. you know, like that is a very different starting point. Yeah. Uh, you know, because your understanding of the problem invariably leads to your understanding of the solution. And so that's mm. where when people go like, what are you talking about, sovereignty or constitution or treaty, when people are going hungry, it's like, oh, man, I don't see those as disconnected issues. Oh, Actually, yeah. like yeah. that's the fundamental problem. Um, yes. And, yeah, certainly. Um, One is entirely symptomatic of the other. Yes, you know? and, and that's, you know, for long-term solutions uh, around it. And and it it's so frustrating that the government, you know, or people within, you know, conservative spaces or media, and not even conservative, a lot of left-leaning people, well, you can't just throw money at the problem. That's clearly the... <laughs> it's like, um, mm. 
you know, they're so ingrained in, in that space that you just feel like you're having a, a, a conversation a million miles away. Yeah. Um, and that's where, you know, even for me and, and for my journey, like I, I've had to sort of stop at different points and go like, who am I giving more energy to? You know what I mean? How like because I, I spent a lot of my my twenties, particularly, you know, working with with young in, indigenous men, particularly, but you know, more as, as I grew out, you know, just anyone, um, and and not just young people, just working with mob and talking to mob and sure. developing these ideas, and then, you know, through like you sort of you, you develop this public presence, and I, I I was that sort of fellow who is like if you asked for my time, I gave it. You know what I mean? Like I that that was me. That that was always what I would do. Um, mm. you know, so even when I was someone like, can I have a coffee to pick your brains? And then you see they've just completely sold your IP to do so. Like I, I would still go back for the next coffee for someone else to pick me brains because I just yeah, uh, sure. was like, I, I, I don't know, I, I didn't understand. I think, again, coming from teaching and not you know, being like a, a political player um, yep. or understanding, you know, grant writing spaces or consultancy spaces or whatever. Um, but, yeah, yeah the, the last number of years and, and I've sort of course corrected it a lot in my life now, but it was like, God, man, I'm, I'm giving so much of my time to white people in the hopes yeah. that they'll understand. Um, mm. and, and I'm, I'm giving so less, you know, much less time for back to mob. Um, yeah. that it's just like, is, is that what I, cause again, you know, it, it wasn't a conscious choice of putting my energies there. It was just responding to what came. Um, and, and just sort of allowing myself to be caught up in whoever was asking for my time without really thinking about my time as, as, a, as a precious thing. Um, yes. Which, you know, I, I think really it wasn't until I had kids um, and, and had a partner who, you know, w- w- was such a strong relationship where I was like, no, actually, you know, I, I'd need to think about where I put my time and how I put my time. Yeah, it's, um, a, precious, it's a precious thing. It time. Time and space is a really precious commodity, you know, and, um, I guess, um, you know, as you were just reflect, as you were just kind of talking about this deeper story of the, the Aboriginal problem, you know, I can see why indigenous X kind of sprung up as a way to have this sort of pass the mic kind of approach to indigenous representation in media, because the story that we have that, you know, that is enshrined in our own national identity um, is very, it's a, it's a very difficult, it, that's an entirely different starting point. So you've got the indigenous power empowerment approach, which is butting up against a broader narrative of, you know, inferiority and, um, just, you know, misrepresentation of what, what the state of play is with indigenous people around the country. Right. So I guess just from that kind of reframing this problem then of kind of how do we change people's attachment to this old story. Mm. Um, do you have any thoughts, you know, uh, in addition to everything you're doing with indigenous sex, right? Do you have any thoughts on how we can engage with that story or encourage people to engage with a, a new story? It's interesting. I and mean, there's so much where, yeah. And, and that's why I write, I, I, I try yeah, a lot of what I write is, is sort of a two prong thought. I mean, like all writers, and sometimes I write just because something pissed me off and I need to get it yeah, down. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I can, or, I can relate. Or, or I've been thinking about something and, it, and it, it's it's taking up too much of my mental space, so I find writing it down useful. But when, mm. when I'm doing thoughtful writing of, like, what do I want to put out into yep. the, the public sphere? Um, mm. You know, I, I want to 
you know, give give language to to mob particularly who don't who who know the ideas but don't necessarily have the articulation of those ideas. Because sure. um, that's I, I find that's my favourite kind of writing when it's like oh you're you're right. putting words to something that I intimately know and live and, and mm. understand. But you're democratising knowledge, Luke. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's also for uh, a, a lot of you know, non-indigenous, particularly white you know, readers, to go like. Now stop annoying random blackfellas asking for this. Like here it is. You know, yeah, like you go true. read it, and then also saving time for other mob when someone asks them, you go, oh, just go read Luke's article. <laughs> like that. Totally. Um, so that's a, a big part of what I put, what I want to put out there. So in terms of, you know, how do we we shake people uh, out of that mindset? Um, like I said, you know, for me, I, I don't want to give all my time to yeah. white people anymore. I don't want to do that work anymore. Um, so now when we do, like, see, so yeah, I'll, I'll do the anti-racism trend. Like, that's paid work. Yes. Uh, which I am doing in, in the hopes that it helps people better of understand course. racism and be less racist. But mm. also in real terms, and I'm doing it so that I can keep employing mob and that we yep. can have a, a business model that works. Um, yes. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's not a completely altruistic, oh, I'm here to help white yep. people activity. Um, mm. I, I certainly ain't doing it for free. Um, yep. Like, certainly that shit is tiring and it's it's... Uh, it, it, it takes a lot um, yep. to keep going back into it and doing it. Um, mm. So it, it's something that while it is one of the biggest obstacles to Indigenous empowerment, yes. when I've got to choose, I would rather give my time back to mob and work with mob. And so with, with my kids, with my partner, with people working for Indigenous X or people who are engaging with Indigenous X, I, I would rather give my time and energy there um, yeah. than, than necessarily worry about that. But one thing I do find really interesting is when, when people say, like, I want to know, you know, please teach me, I, I want to know. So many white people, and again, that romanticised you know, construction of culture, what they want is uh, a wise elder mm. who will take them bush and who will give them a skin name and who will impart bits of right. cultural knowledge uh, yep. that, that will enlighten them through you know, ancient wisdoms. It's all of that stuff. So when I say, like, Oh, you want to know? Well, go read. Like, oh, I don't want to read a book. Yeah. It's like, well, man, that's that's so disrespectful to the person who took the time to write the book. It's not bloody easy. You yes. Know, even to write the article, to write the book, to write the whatever. Um, but it is. It's like why when you've really, uh, you know, culturally and collectively really beat us over the head with the importance of writing and how bad oral history is, you certainly mm. don't seem to like any writing anymore when it's from Aboriginal people. Because um, right. you don't want the knowledge, you yep. want the emotional experience. Mm. You want the validation. Uh, you want the wise old elder to pat you on the head and say, it's okay, you're one of the good yeah. white people. You're one of the good ones. Um, and so, you know, it's frustrating for me because it is when people say, like, what should I do? It's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm struggling to keep up with the, the breadth of the written work. And I'm, even, even just before this, I was, I was picking up um, yeah, Charles Perkins' biography that I haven't, sort of flick through in, in years, a, a bastard right. like me. It was written in 1975. Mm. Um, and, and there's just something, you know, I, I'm really, really trying hard, I, I think since the stuff with family uh, and, and trying to re-engage with mindfulness practices and trying yep. to slow down and, and make sure uh, I, I just look after myself a bit better um, yes. you know, spiritually, you know, mentally, physically than, than I probably have been. Uh, the last couple of years, putting so much into trying to grow Indigenous X and, and support it, and um, so yeah, and just just taking the time to read that that book though, and and yeah. to hear in in my own mind's voice, yeah, uh, Dr. Perkins's voice and his story, 
Like there's so no. much that you get from that and, and I don't have the time, no one has the time uh, to, to impart upon you, you know, millions of pages, you know, decades yep. of thought representing centuries of thought, representing hundreds of different cultures, millions of different individual experiences. Like you, you've got to put in the work if you really... It, it's like, and again, yep. it shows the respect for Indigenous knowledges where if, if I was to come to you and it's like, Oh man, like you're a surgeon. I really want to be a surgeon. Like, okay, we've got to go to uni and you gotta read and you go, oh no, I thought you could just take me out the back and you know, show me a thing or two. Like I yeah, I was cool. hoping we could knock this over in an afternoon. Like, um <laughs> and so and, and a lot of people just keep going until they find someone who's like, Yeah, I'll give you that. And yeah, then, then right. they're content because what they wanted was their uh, not even their empowerment. They wanted, like I said, their emotional experience. They're not interested in indigenous empowerment. Yeah. They're, they're interested in their white saviour status. Indigenous validation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and there's always someone who will give you that. And, and I don't even begrudge those people necessarily, man, who do, like, oh. especially when it's, you know, when, when it's people like, you know, we've got to survive in this colony too. <laughs> like if yeah, sure. I was going to say um, there must be some just self-preservation yeah, so, kind so of just. Some of that validation is, is very dodgy people doing very dodgy shit in very dodgy ways who have no connection oh. to cultural community or whatever. And right. I, I have less time for those people. Um, yes, I've, I've, known, I've known old fellas in the day who, who have remarkable knowledge um, mm. who, who still engage in that tourism uh, space to a degree because it, that, that's where there's more economic opportunity, unfortunately, for a lot of people. Right. Um, then, you know, so we, we don't have, and again, we don't have that infrastructure and the, those spaces for those people to, to be recognised. You know, like we, we pay our great white thinkers after we put them through the, the PhD process you know, they can go and philosophize and they can go and research and go like where where is the infrastructure and the systems for that indigenous knowledge holder uh, to right. draw a solid wage to to pursue and to teach that yes um, and and you know increasingly there are limited opportunities for that um, yeah. but often it's got to be marketed through we, we don't respect the institution again mm. that's why you know like I said one of the things I, I used to talk about, uh, off the back of being a, a young Indigenous leader, um, you know, then suddenly you get too old to be that anymore. And then um, I say an article, I think I read, uh, probably at NITV, I was like, I used to be a young Indigenous leader and now I'm just some guy. Some guy. <laughs> just, um, but, you know, it's like we have in, in, in that uh, environment, there's an Indigenous Youth Parliament. Yes. It's not an Indigenous Parliament. And that right. to me is so uh, symptomatic and so problematic. Mm. Um, and, and it's not the problem of the people who run the, the youth parliament. No, it's a great thing for kids to do, but it, it's a snapshot of, you know, how how painful and how problematic, uh, you know, these, these spaces are that when mm. we talk about, you know, we want our own systems, yeah. then you're either you know, uh, aggressive, divisive um, or unrealistic. You know, we're all Australian, we're all... The goal the goalposts keep shifting. It mm. feels like you know. Well, like I said, yeah, the, the goalposts don't don't exist in any way other than uh, to to corral people down into. So right. yeah, ra rather than than goalposts that are like here they are, it, it's it's yeah. very much they're they're more like herding herding. They're more like bollard. So yeah, they'll they'll come and they'll nip at your heels and they'll jump around like a bloody cattle yeah. and they're they're everywhere all at once, pushing yeah. you ever into that that same space. Because mm. um, yeah, they they, they don't. And that's saying the, the beliefs that are used against us and that are weaponized against us. I, I, I don't often know if anyone sincerely believes them. 
Yeah. Yeah, like when people go like, oh, why should I say sorry? Like I didn't do I, – I wasn't here 200 years ago. I didn't do it. And it's like, do you think that I think you're responsible yeah, for what no. happened to you? Like do, do you think that I think you're a time traveller? Like what do you <laughs> think I think? You know what I mean? When you say yeah. stop blaming me for what happened, it's like I, I don't blame you for what happened before you were born, man. Like that's not a logical thing and you should know yeah. I don't think that. Because yeah. it's so illogical, and you should stop and go. Well, obviously, no one thinks that because that's not a thing that you can believe. So, what do people mean when we yeah. say you should be responsible? Mm. When you do have a responsibility, when you do have a role to play, what is it that people mean? What do they actually think? And and we're not even given the dignity, uh, you know, the, the time of day that people engage enough with Indigenous thought and argument and debate and aspirations to get past these ludicrous illogical things that are, are spat at them from, you know, bad faith actors, you know, yeah. media or government or... Well, that was going to be my comment there, just where, you know, where are they getting those stories mm. from about that? That is apparently what any Indigenous person thinks, you know? So that speaks to a broader media ecosystem, I think, that might yeah, be, well, or an education political, system, whatever. Uh, well, a, a capitalist infrastructure that has arms is what I would yeah. say, man. It, it's more so, you know, when, right. um, like after Mabo and, you know, when they were trying to, to water down native title, you know, there were those big ads uh, across mm. and, and, you know, media talking about it and speeches and, you know, so it was sort of like mining media politics all coming together to say Aboriginal people are going to claim your back backyard. Right. You know, like that, yeah. that, that whole concept of Aboriginal people claiming your backyard, which most people still have heard of or know of or it resonates somewhere, even if you weren't yes. old enough at the time, you're aware of that concept. And it is. It was a very concerted uh, media campaign, political campaign to, to demonise Aboriginal aspirations and the realities of what native title represented. Um, mm. you know, no one was ever able to claim your backyard. That wasn't. Yeah. That was never a thing. That was on the. That was never. Yeah. That was never that was on the cards. Yeah. Um, but to, to protect those commercial interests, you know, the, the arms of capitalism um, and and white supremacy came to the fore to to work together uh, to mm. ensure that people were terrified and and had that anima and again that animosity of, you know, I'm coming to get you. Aboriginal yeah. people are coming for you. They're a threat to you. Um, and, and so much of the colony has been built on that two-pronged Aboriginal people of this pitiful, inferior thing, but they're also really scary and dangerous. And if you give them a chance, they will take everything from you and you can't trust them because they yeah. just want to make you feel guilty and they're just stuck in the past and they're just wanting a free handout and they're just whatever. Um, you yeah. know, all of these things, which, again, a, a lot of the, the stereotypes against us contradict themselves and can't mm. exist in the same space at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but they're happy to. They're happy to because the people telling those lies, knowing that their lies don't give a fuck, yeah. and and so many of the racists who are happy to have a justification for their hatred of Aboriginal people. You know, a couple of generations you could just say, yeah, no, I just hate Aboriginal people because everyone does. That's fine. Whereas now, yeah. no, 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 I, I'm not racist. I just don't like that they do this. Oh, that fun, so, that fun little caveat. You know, it was, it was. We had a, a comment on Facebook the other day. But it was just, I, I tweeted it. It was freaking hilarious. It was this fellow who's like, "Yeah, you're the real racist. Like you hate Aboriginal people. Uh, you sorry, Aboriginal people hate white people. Right? Okay. Um, so I was like, Aboriginal people are the real racists. 
You, you just hate white people for yeah any reason, and then you'll call me a racist just because I don't like Aboriginal people. And it's like, yeah, no, I will. Like you just said, like, you just don't like Aboriginal people. Yeah. You can't just go, I'm not racist, I just don't like an entire race of people. Yeah. <laughs> and fit on that. So that, yeah, there, there's so much of the appropriation of the, the language of the oppressed yeah. It's forced onto white people. I mean, Andrew Bolt, there's a headline out at the moment. I just saw it on Twitter this morning. It's like, not a good mm. time to be a white man in Australia. And it's like, yeah, it is, Andrew. And you freaking know it is. And it always is. And you know, and that's another thing we talk about in, in our anti-racism training. I work on people like, what's the solution to racism? Education, because it's all founded on ignorance. And it's like, yeah. no, man, it's, it's founded on power and control and economics and, you know, the desire for land and free labour and having a convenient political scapegoat that you can demonise. Um, yeah. You know, that, that has always been the source of, of modern contemporary, you know, racism that's founded around, uh, you know, pro-whiteness, anti-blackness constructs. Right. It mm. was justifying slavery. It was justifying uh, colonisation, invasion, the, the stealing of land, the theft of, of human beings, the trading in human yep. beings as a commodity and and doing that in a way that allowed white people to say, but we're good people. Mm. You know, and so it's like if you want to be a good human while you do horrible things to other humans, uh, you invariably have to dehumanise those people and take their humanity away. It's yeah. the only way you can keep the facade of your own. Yeah, and so that's why so much uh, hatred of Aboriginal people and animosity towards Aboriginal people that feeds in to shit policies and practices and attitudes and understanding mm. um, is is that is is that expression of that it, it's dehumanising. Um, yeah, and that's where you know you have these people who are like, oh no, I'm a good white person. I just want to help. Yeah, yeah. It's like to to be able to have that attitude, to be able to look at the landscape today and think that's what's going on. Yeah. And then you hit so many people that I had this, and this was a fellow who, uh, you know, has access to my children through, you know, in, employment spaces. Mm. Uh, who's going like, you know, a big part of the problem is like Aboriginal people just won't accept the help. Like white people, we want to help. They just need to accept that help. And it's like, man, we've had enough of you. Like, and yep. I, uh, you know, I, I had to sort of keep my calm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, far for, out. For fear of the repercussions it would have on my kids. Yeah. Um, so I was very clear in my articulation of the idea and that I was not freaking impressed with what he was saying, um, yeah. but I, I had to uh, do my best to control my voice right. <laughs> and yeah, modulate my tone in doing so. Oh, Luke, I'm just conscious of the time because um, mm. we're probably approaching the end, but I feel like we're going to have to do a part two eventually because <laughs> there's just <laughs> so much that we could discuss. I always love talking to you. And, you know, you're always so generous and frank with your um, advice. And I, I feel really honoured that you are so open with me and give me your very precious time. Um, so thank you. Um, really you've given me a lot to think about. And I think anyone listening in, I think, if anything, the challenge really here is, okay, Indigenous empowerment, it's it's a given, right? Mm. Like this, that this is something that we should be supporting in whatever way that looks not necessarily in the support of like handing out anything, but more like getting out of the way or just, you know, putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. And, or, or and behind man, you know, like to, yeah. championing, yeah. understanding yeah. the issue so that you're like, yeah. we we're talking about when, when someone says like, 
I'll, I'll just support whatever Aboriginal people want and then they get confused because we don't all agree with each other. It's like, no, man, have a, have a dog in the fight. Like, educate yourself. Yeah. Read, yes. learn. Yeah, and, and if you support someone I disagree with, well, then we'll debate about that. Um, yeah, but, exactly. But, you know, work out what it is that, that you believe um, mm. and, and you know, find a way to do that that, again, respects the dignity of Indigenous people. And, and I would and love to understand it. Like and I said, to con- uh, yeah, I, I think having this this chat today on, on the back of doing the trainings yesterday, yeah. I'm more sort of airing some of my frustrations about white supremacy because yeah, that's, that's cool, man. That's part of the obstacle, man. But when we're talking about yeah, in indigenous empowerment, you know, that there is so much to to the beauty of indigenous people and culture and and ways of being and doing um, that 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 is, you know, I'm. I'm like I said, I'm I'm in that headspace at the moment. But yeah, you know, and, mm. and so much of my energy as we got talking was about like fucking white supremacy, man. She <laughs> <You> gets <back. laughs> the other side of indigenous empowerment is like, oh my god, like what what mob are, are capable of when when given opportunities that that are unencumbered, yes, uh, from that white supremacy, yeah, uh, are some of the most amazing things that that can be imagined and. Um, yeah, again, whether or not white people get to tap into that or be, like, I, don't, I don't want to say it in a way of like, and it can be for everyone because I think that's a bullshit commodifying as well. Like, even sure. just for us, <laughs> like, you should still support it. Um, but, yeah, there is, and there are so many amazing people doing so many amazing things. And so I would love to come back to to, to get some more time to bring some of the receipts well, receipts and we'll really pay it, tribute. We'll just- We'll make the time, Luke, because I think it's worthwhile and this is a very ambitious topic to cover in such a short amount of time and we have to, we can't disentangle it from the circumstances that gave rise to need to have this conversation. So, you know, if anything, you've given anyone listening just a really amazing insight into and and a real genuine moment support. So I can't thank you enough for that. Um, just for anyone that wants to follow your work, do you want to just do the quick plugs and yeah, um, so the, where the people host, can find you? The hosted account on Twitter at IndigenousX, the, the business account where we pump out our articles and other things, that's IndigenousX LTD, so limited. Uh, but, yeah, IndigenousX on Instagram, IndigenousX.com.au. Um, I'm Luke Pearson. I've got my own. You know, you'll, you'll find me on Twitter as well. Um, but yeah, man, sing out, in, engage with, with what we're putting out there. You know, we, we work hard right. on what we do. We believe in what we do, um, and always looking for for more people um, who who want to be a part of that community and and who want to you know, be a part of something that matters. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Luke. You have been listening to Undesign, a series of conversations about the big issues that matter to all of us. Undesign is made possible by the wonderful team at Draw History. And if you want to learn more about each guest or each topic, we have curated a suite of resources and reflections for you on our Undesign page at www.drawhistory.com. Thank you to the talented Jimmy Lindbull for editing and mixing our audio. Special thank you to our guests for joining us and showing us how important we all are in redesigning our world's futures. And last but not least, a huge thank you to you, our dear listeners for joining us on this journey of discovery and hope. The future needs you. Make sure you stay on the journey with us by subscribing to Undesign on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are available.